Let us pray together this morning. Good, holy, loving God, we take this time as a moment to breathe in the chaos of life, in the craziness that each of our days present to us. And for just this moment, we rest in your presence. Come to us in this time that we might encounter your spirit anew this morning, be filled by it, nourished by it, and guided on to greater and more excellent things. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning be good and pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our strength and redeemer. Amen. All right, so last week we finished the book of Jonah, and so we're on to a new three-part sermon series called Shape Up. It's in your bulletin, so, you know, you got a nice little reminder there. And Shape Up is a, uh, a sermon series based off of our recent Spring Hill Avenue Path to Excellence visioning meeting that took place last week during the Sunday school hour. If you weren't able to attend, no worries. Uh, there, the video from that meeting will be up on our YouTube and Facebook page as soon as I get on it. I'm, I'm slacking over here and I apologize. Um, but this, this series is meant to build off of that as we are looking forward at the future of our church beyond just a maintenance mindset into a visioning mindset. This notion that we aren't just here to just kind of keep ourselves right where we are, but we're here to grow and learn and gather and to, and to move forward into the future and also to be thinking about the generations that are to come beyond us. And so shaping up this sermon series, it begins with establishing ourselves on a firm foundation which is intentionally prepared for the work that is to follow. And here's what I mean by that, right? So anytime a structure is going to be built, the very first thing that is done in order for that structure to go where it's going to go is a foundation is poured. A, a, uh, a flat bed on which that structure can sit. And this is an absolutely crucial part of every uh, structural project because without the foundation, then the structure itself becomes weak, it has nothing to support it, and it doesn't last very long. But it's funny how often we don't really think about the foundation of anything. I mean, how often do you actually, you know, maybe you walk into your home or into this church or wherever you might go and, and you think, hmm, the foundation. Yeah, that's a good foundation right there. It's something you don't really think about very often because it's, it's something we can easily take for granted unless something goes wrong with it, right? I don't know how many of you have ever had problems with your foundation. I used to work for a contracting company and, uh, and it's probably one of the worst scenarios a, a person can come across is whenever you have problems with your foundation. It's always something we take for granted until there's something wrong with it because becomes very expensive to manage and to fix. But at the very beginning of a building project, the foundation is essential. And it's not just randomly thrown down. There is a lot of intentional planning behind the foundation. 
The foundation is established just so that it can accommodate the structure that is going to go above it. You don't end up having a foundation that juts out 10 feet beyond it or a foundation that is, you know, 20 feet shorter than the structure. It's, it's, uh, it's established just right to fit the structure that's going to go on it, which means there's a lot of planning involved. You don't just jump into a building project like this. There's a lot of intentional planning that goes on with it. And so as we're looking at this path to excellence, this visioning, the first thing that I feel we need to establish for ourselves is a firm foundation on which we can grow, on which we can build, on which we can move forward. Otherwise, the work that is to follow will end up crumbling. And so whenever it comes to a visioning process like this, there's a certain mindset that visioners have to have. And I call it the cathedral builder's mindset. So a couple of months ago, my wife and I had the fantastic opportunity to travel to Europe. And we hit Ireland, Netherlands, Spain, and, and Italy. And it was a fantastic trip. It was probably the last vacation we'll ever be able to take. And it was, it was just magnificent traveling to all of these places. And while we were there, you really get a sense of the way in which Christianity has shaped the face of Europe. Because in every city, in every, um, in every major part of these countries, there is a grand cathedral placed there. And these cathedrals aren't normal churches. Okay, these cathedrals, you know that there's something different about it when you walk up because you just find yourself in awe of it. You know it's not just your normal church. It's a very unique establishment there. And it was intentionally so around uh, just before the Renaissance period whenever, the, uh, whenever cathedrals began to be a, a more commonplace occurrence. The idea behind a cathedral was that we as human beings, the best thing that we could be doing to glorify God would be to use our craftsmanship and artistry and construct something that gave glory to God from the get-go. Something that whenever people entered into it, you could just feel the presence of God. Something that, that whenever people walked up to it, its presence would shout that it's reaching to the heavens. And at the time, cathedrals, you know, there weren't skyscrapers. Cathedrals were the largest structures around. They were magnificent. And every single detail of a cathedral is meticulously planned out. And we are fortunate enough to be in this space which is modeled after a cathedral-style architecture, in which every single detail is so meticulously thought out. From the, from the stained glass windows in which you, as you look around at them, you can see each one, they're telling a story. To the shape of the building, if you were to look at this building from an aerial perspective, it, you would see it is in the shape of a cross. Every single detail is so intricately designed to glorify God and to help people who enter into the space encounter the divine through mundane or worldly means. But here's the thing with cathedrals. In their process of establishment, modern technology and construction methods weren't around. They didn't have these massive cranes or hydraulic, uh, uh, hydraulic machinery that could move heavy loads and whatnot. And so building a cathedral would take years, decades, even centuries one of the most 
beautiful cathedrals we had the opportunity of entering, and I still get chills just thinking about it, was one in Barcelona, and the the title of it is La Sagrada Familia. That may sound familiar to you, as it is one of the only cathedrals in the world that's still under construction. It's been under construction for quite a while now, um, and you know, they're, they're nearing the completion phase. 2026 is the projected finish date. Um, but we still got to go inside and, and witness what all uh, this cathedral holds. And I mean, I've never before have I walked into a building and have been moved to tears because of every single detail that this building holds. This is one of the days I wish we had a projector in here and I could show you pictures of this magnificent structure and, and every single detail that is so meticulously thought out. But here's the thing, Anthony Gaudi, who is the architect for La Sagrada Familia, along with the many other architects and designers who work on cathedral projects, know going into it that they probably won't see the finished product. Imagine that. Imagine going into work every single day knowing that everything that you're working on, you won't ever see the fruits of your labor. Somebody else might, but you won't. We in our society have, have kind of built ourselves up on being able to see uh, results as soon as possible. We like to see results. Cathedral builders have a different mindset. They're not thinking about the finished product. The finished product is quite literally an afterthought. It's going to be there, fine. But the most important thing is every detail in the planning process. The most important thing is the foundation, the very first steps, the first moments that they're able to get their hands on the project. And so as we're thinking about visioning as a church and what it means to, to be the church of Jesus Christ in the world, we need, to be, we need to be shifting our mindset away from just simply seeing results now and maintaining where we are now into a cathedral builder's mindset in, we, in which we start to consider Generations that will follow us, the next people, and the people after them. Because you see, the church, in its entirety, in its 2,000 plus years of history, has been a community which is constantly thinking about the next people. We have a finite time spent on this earth, but there are generations which are to follow us. And so in a cathedral builder's mindset, we stop thinking about the end result for us and start thinking about the end result for the generations to follow us. We start thinking about what it means to build in order to declare God's mighty acts for our children, our children's children, and their children's children, and so forth, so on and so forth, because that is what it means to be the church to be thinking about more than just ourselves, but to be thinking about others and those who will follow us. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2 here, as Peter is writing to one of these newer churches, he's talking to them as if they are infants. Not literally, but talking to them as if they are spiritual infants, people who are new at this, and they are. And you even see in verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk so that, you, so that by it you may grow into salvation. But as he keeps going, he's trying to explain the basics of what it means to be a church. And eventually he gets to, in verse 4, come to him, Jesus, 
a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. See, for Peter, a firm foundation is secured with living stones. Living stones is a very unique terminology that Peter uses here because it, it is in itself a contradiction. If you ever picked up a rock before, you know there's not a whole lot of life going on within the rock, unless you were like me and had pet rocks in which there was a lot of life in those rocks. But it's a contradiction, right? A stone is not living. But Peter uses this terminology to relate human beings to structures, to buildings. Because as we know, as we've talked about before, the church is not a building. It's nice to have a building. It's helpful to have a building, especially whenever you live in a place as hot and humid as Mobile. But the church is not a building. A church is a people, a community, people who gather together to support one another, to love on one another, and care for one another. And so whenever Peter uses this terminology of living stones, what he is saying is a firm foundation begins not, a firm foundation for the church begins not with a building project. It doesn't begin with, a, with building a structure. It begins by building a people. It begins by encouraging and supporting a people and caring for a people. So for Peter, as he has come to understand it, it's about the people. And this terminology, living stone, is even more important for Peter because if you remember earlier on in his ministry, whenever he was still traveling with the, the disciples and Jesus, Peter makes the declaration about Jesus. He says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon Peter, you are correct. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the name Peter means rock. And so Peter's already taking this terminology of stones and rocks and, and, and something that is strong, a foundation, and turning it for the, for the use of the church. And translating a construction terminology into a people terminology. And as I was uh, thinking about this expression, living stones, I remembered something a little unique from a couple of months ago. So my wife really likes plants. Uh, she loves to care for plants. Uh, it's very rare that you'll come into our home and not find uh, uh, flowers growing somewhere or a plant in the corner or something like that. She really loves plants. Maybe I'm sorry if you listen to this later. She loves them too hard. So we don't keep plants for very long. I mean, she really loves caring for plants, but eventually we had to turn to succulents because, you know, succulents are these resistant plants that you're supposed to be able to keep no matter what, right? Like, they're supposed to be even more durable than cacti. And in this time, uh, learning about succulents, um, which we also learned you can kill succulents by loving succulents too hard, so we're still trying to evaluate our plant situation in our home. But I learned in this time that there is actually a type of succulent called a living stone. It's actually a plant. It's a plant that grows in a specific region of, I think, Africa. 
Uh, don't quote me on that, I'll need to double check. Um, but it's a very specific type of succulent that adapts to its, to its circumstances and looks like a rock. If you were to walk alongside the path, you would think that there's a rock right there, but it actually is a plant. And these living stones, these succulents, are known to be plants which endure through the harshest conditions. No matter the heat or sunlight or what bears down on it, they are known to live through the harshest conditions and they are known to survive by shaping themselves to their environment, to look like other rocks that are in their environment so that they do not get ruined or trampled or uh, do not get eaten or anything like that. And so Peter is asking the people of the church to start thinking of themselves like living stones, like the actual foundation of the church. And I would even push it a little further to say like a people who are enduring, like a people who can weather any circumstance like a people who can shape themselves to their environment. Because you see, cathedral builders who work with living stones know that something which must endure can only endure if it has a purpose, if it has something to cling to. I've been talking with, a lot, with our leadership committees a lot about this guy named Simon Sinek. And he's a, an author and speaker um, but his initial job, whenever he first entered the work field, he was trying to figure out what he was passionate about. And what his job actually is, is he goes around to businesses and organizations and corporations and helps them to do better at what they do. And the way that he does this is through a method he calls Start With Why. It, also the title of his book and TED Talk, Start With Why. And the way that he gets businesses and organizations and, and companies to do better at what they do is by telling them, stop thinking about what you do and start thinking about why you do it. Start with your purpose. Start with what matters to you. Start with what you believe in. And then you can move on into what you do. And so for, for Simon Sinek, uh, in this process of starting with why, he describes it on a biological level, the most fundamental way that we as humans exist on a biological level. He says, biologically speaking, the, one of the last parts of human development is the prefrontal cortex. I'm sorry for biology terminology, but here we are. It's the prefrontal cortex, which is a spot of your brain that sits about right here. And this later part of human development deals with reason and logic, rationality, and is also the part of our brain that helps put things into words. This is the part of our brain that allows us to understand the what, as he calls it. It helps us to understand what we do, what it, or what that is, or what this is, or what you are saying. The prefrontal cortex allows us to interpret that. But he says the prefrontal cortex isn't rooted enough. It doesn't matter enough to people. So as a church, we could say, hi, we're Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church, and we have worship on Sundays. And that would be a what we do. What we do is we have worship on Sundays. And that could be fine for people, and they would hear, oh, okay, maybe we'll come check out worship on Sundays because that's something that you do. But that's not, Simon Sinek argues, that's not what's going to last. He says people won't buy into what you do. People will buy into why you do it. And so he says you have to start at the root of human development, the limbic system. 
the limbic system is one of the first parts of the human, uh, of the human body to develop, the part that, that incorporates uh, the, the lower part of your brain. It's the part that deals with feelings and emotions. It's the part that deals with, as Simon Sinek says, the why. This is the part that's, that's most rooted in our biology. And so, you know, whenever, whenever you really love something, like I really love Taco Bell. I really love Taco Bell, and it's actually a health hazard for me at this point. But I really love Taco Bell, and I can't explain why. Their food is average. I'm going to be honest. Their food is average. Um, their customer service is fast food. I can't, I can't articulate why I love Taco Bell. You would think it's the sauce. Maybe it is. I don't know. I can't articulate it. It's just something I feel within me. It's something that I'm so passionate about that, that I'm already salivating and thinking I'm having Taco Bell for lunch today. <laughs> because I'm moved by it. It's not what they do. They, they make tacos and other Tex-Mex assorted foods. So do other restaurants, and other restaurants are just okay. But Taco Bell I'm passionate about. And it's, it's a feeling. It's an emotion. And so Simon, Simon Sinek says, start with why. Start with your purpose. Start telling people why you are who you are, not just what you do. And so we need to be thinking, what is our purpose? Peter articulates it for the church that he's speaking to in, in chapter 2 here. He says, your purpose is this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter says, your purpose is to declare, proclaim the mighty acts of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Get this. This is you we're talking about here. I want us to recognize, although Peter is writing about 2,000 years ago, Peter isn't just speaking to an audience 2,000 years ago. Peter's also not just speaking to some ethereal group of people, you know, beyond our comprehension. Peter is speaking directly to the church, to the people who make up the church, wherever they might be, whomever they might be, however they might be, whenever they might be, Peter is speaking to the church. He's saying, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of, out of darkness into his marvelous light. So our challenge in trying to understand our purpose is to go and gather living stones and build a cathedral that will declare God's mighty acts and endure. Now, I just tried to pack a whole lot of themes into a single sentence there. What I'm trying to say is God is calling us to invest in something greater than ourselves. God is calling us to vision beyond just our lifetime. God is calling us to be the foundation for the next generation to build on. God is calling us to be a people who are declaring his mighty acts, the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God is calling for us 
to establish something that will endure. Not something that can just be maintained, but something that will endure. God is calling us to invest in something greater than ourselves. And so, my question for us today is, are we ready and willing to put forth the work for those who will follow us? Are we ready and willing to put forth the work for those who will follow us? Because guess what? Someone else did it for you. No matter what generation you are here in presence of the church, there was a generation before you that just like you had something negative to say about the younger generations. And just like you had something to complain about about how the younger generations were coming in and ruining everything. I don't know if you actually say that, but that's a general stereotype of young people is that they mess things up. But just like you, another generation came before you and said the next generation matters. The next generation is the future of the church. The next generation are the ones who are going to carry this church into the following generations after us. And God is calling us to invest in something much greater than ourselves, something that transcends our own lifespan, something that can carry on into the community long after we're gone. The only question remaining is, are we willing to put forth the work for those who will follow us Or is it our goal only to do as much as will suit our own needs while we're here? Because if you look back over the course, the history of the church, it was those 2,000 plus years of people coming together saying, this matters. And the people around us matter. And the people who will follow us matter. And that is what it means to be the church, to be a people who look beyond just ourselves and say, they matter. And then to put forth our work and our effort into proving what we say. So let us be cathedral builders. Let us be people who vision beyond just our own lifespan to do something incredible for the generations to come. Let us vision a church built on living stones, not concrete. Let us vision a church that will endure through any trial and tribulation. Let us vision a church on the path to excellence. It's time we shape up.